sins away. Oh, say much I'm glad. From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. It's a great joy to welcome you to our Wednesday broadcast. And listen, we're right in the middle, right in the midst of our great National Sword of the Lord Conference in Walkertown, North Carolina. That's in the Winston-Salem suburbs. And already we've had many, many people come. The meetings are going great. We're thankful for it. We get underway this morning at 9.30 a.m. as well as tomorrow morning. And then the afternoon workshop sessions will begin at 1.30. And then again, a doubleheader tonight. Big time meetings just in a great way the Lord blesses. And we hope that you'll come and be with us tonight at 7 o'clock, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. There'll be three speakers each morning starting at 9.30, and we hope that you'll plan to be with us for any and all of these meetings. That's going on right now at the Gospelite Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. We get together here every day, five days a week, and we do so excitedly, and we do so because we believe that the things we talk about do make a difference. And that's the reason why we call our program Making a Difference. We believe we ought to get the gospel out, preach the whole counsel of God. I mean, everything we find in the Word of God, we believe it ought to be taught, it ought to be preached, it needs to be heralded so that people will get it. And we do our very best in all of that to magnify the Savior and promote the values that we find in the Bible and whatever is there that we ought to stand up to if we need to take a stand against something. We do that, and we believe we ought to do that, and all the while demonstrating a Christian lifestyle, and we promote solidly fundamental local churches and do our best to salute the servants of God who are faithful and who are serving the Lord. And we're just glad that we can do that because it helps all of us to have the right ideas, have the right values, and to work with folks who are in that same company of believers. Now, this week, I've been talking around the general theme of New Testament Christianity. That's how Christianity is set up, how it is established, what it means to be a Christian and to be serving together in a Christian ministry, and it is New Testament-based. I looked already at some of the things in the book of Acts, how that the early Christians set a standard for us. They endured persecution, but they did not stop. They had all kinds of challenges raised against them, even false accusations, and they defended themselves in the process because the accusations were false, and their testimony throughout all of that was beyond dispute. They were a bold crowd, fearless, maybe afraid sometimes, but yet the way they went about doing things was in a fearless manner, and uh, they authenticated their ministry by their testimony, by the walk of their Christian life, and by the zeal that they had for the things of the Lord. Now, I want to read today, right at the end of chapter 4 of Acts, and we've looked at a number of things in this chapter. Verse 31 says about these New Testament Christians, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 in that chapter says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, whenever we look at this passage and see these things happening to these early Christians, every bit of this needs to be attended to. I mean, it needs to be acknowledged 
by every one of us. We need to be aware of what it is to be a Christian, to serve the Lord, to walk the walk that we ought to walk. Now, these early Christians, just like you and me, they were folks who had families. They were folks who had a place they called home. They had jobs or businesses that they went to every day, making a living for themselves and for their family. But they were Christians. And you remember in Acts chapter 11, they were first called Christians at Antioch. That term never came up, apparently, in Jerusalem. So the Bible says it was at Antioch that they first were identified as Christians. They were following Christ. They were like Christ. They were proclaiming Christ. So they were called Christians. Now, what does this really mean? What does it suggest about them to call them Christians and to say that what we've got here is New Testament Christianity? Well, first of all, I want you to notice in this passage that these folks prayed, and they prayed diligently. They prayed earnestly. And as they were filled with the Spirit of God, and remember, the Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It talks about the filling of the Holy Ghost. And those two things are different things. Whenever a person is saved, whenever they come to Christ and receive the Savior, they are placed into the body of Christ. The Bible talks about that. It's like a baptism of the Spirit where they are placed into the family of God. And at the same time, there is here in the book of Acts, we're learning something called the filling of the Spirit of God. Now, there's only one baptism of the Spirit. That's when you're converted. But there are many fillings along the way. We serve the Lord, we act as we ought to as a Christian, and then there may be a day when we are not quite as in tune as we need to be, and we push things back to the back corner somewhere, and we're not walking with the Lord like we should. Well, you say, what do we need? We need to get a fresh new anointing of the Spirit of God, a fresh new filling. And those fillings can come many times, they can come oftentimes, and the Bible talks about, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 of Acts 2 says they were all filled. The word is pleru in the Greek text. It's not baptisma, but it's pleru, and it means that they had that filling of the Holy Spirit there. But here again, we have it in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and what happened? Well, in both cases, they were anointed for the preaching of the gospel, for the testimony of the gospel, for the witness of the gospel. This verse says they spake the word of God with boldness, following that filling of the Spirit. A lot of things that fly under the Christian flag, that operate under the uh, Christian umbrella, simply do not work right. They do not do right. They do not come out right because that they are not following the leadership of the Spirit of God. This passage says that as a result of that filling, the apostles had great power. They had great power as they witnessed of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. That is, the Lord blessed them in mighty fashion. You know, the Lord is never stingy. He's always generous. He provides things for us when we don't deserve it. He provides things for us that we could never earn for ourselves. And whenever we get in line with Him and begin to walk with Him, He does even more. He even 
gives his grace in abundance whenever we allow him to work in our life like he wants to work in our life. Now, you can't dabble in the world and still have the fullness of God's blessing. You can't live a carnal lifestyle and have the fullness of God's blessing. You can't be out dabbling in the world or running amok in the world, as some people do, and then go to church on Sunday and act like everything's okay. Uh, You've heard the expression probably, some folks sow their wild oats all week and then go to church and pray for crop failure. Well, that doesn't work well. It just doesn't fly, and it does not meet muster in the Lord's economy. So when you and I want the full blessing of God, we want a full measure of God's grace, we simply need to listen to the Lord. We need to listen to His Word. We need to get in His will, and we need to put ourselves into His work. And when we do that, then we can be used, we can be utilized in the Lord's service in a great way. And listen, this is the essence of New Testament Christianity. We get ourselves right with God, we find the will of God, we do the work of God, and all of that based upon the authority of God's precious Word. Now, these folks, as I indicated, they had families, they had homes, they had jobs, they had businesses, but they were Christians. And as a result of that, they went about doing their business, but they went everywhere preaching the Word. Acts chapter 8 says, even when they were being persecuted, when they were being hounded by the authorities, they went everywhere preaching the word. Now, you and I live in a world, we live in a time, and even here in America where we have great freedom, we have continuing hostilities, we have continuing restrictions, we have all kinds of things coming against us. Christians are kind of that minority of people that are really in a place where now it's kind of popular to throw rocks at Christians and to mock and make fun of them. Well, that never should be, but it does happen. And as a result of that, you and I have to take stock of who we are, what we're about, and remember that we have authority from the Lord to serve Him and to work for Him and to do His bidding and to do the business of the Lord in the way that He wants it to be done. Now, here's the thing. If we're going to be New Testament Testament-style Christians, it is imperative, number one, it is imperative that we are genuinely converted. There's a lot going on under the Christian umbrella that is nowhere near conversion. We have whole denominations that would tell you they don't even believe in being born again. They don't even try to get people converted. What they do try to do is to get them to acknowledge the denomination. What they do try to do is to get them to go through some ritual like uh, confirmation or sprinkling, uh, which they call baptism, or a baptismal ritual, or taking communion regularly, or something like that. And they put all of those things together and say, well, now, if you do this, and do this, and do this, and do something else, then, uh, you know, you're one of us, and you're a Christian then. Well, folks, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. The fact is, folks can belong to every church in town, and still miss heaven when they die. I mean, actually wind up going to hell when they die, because that they have not been genuinely converted. And listen, God is not hard to get hold of. God has not limited the offer of his salvation. He has not in any sense of the word said, now you're going to have to swim a wide river or climb a high mountain or do some other impossible task or some difficult task. God's never made salvation like that. He has never one time 
put us in the kind of a dilemma where we say, well, there's nothing I can do. I just can't handle it. It's just more than I can accomplish. We have never been on that kind of a basis with the Lord. He has always offered His salvation to us warmly and generously, and every step of the way, the Lord offers to us the great privilege of being His children, but He wants us to put our trust in Him. It's necessary for us to look at who we are, realize that we're sinners, and then knowing that sinners are in jeopardy of going to hell and cannot enter into heaven without some help, and we look and we find that there is a Savior. The Lord God sent His Son, and He sent Him to die on the cross and rise from the grave, and in so doing, pay our sin debt and purchase salvation for us. The Lord did all of that. He did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for everyone. Now, for us to get that made effective for us, for that to be real to us, we have to come to a place where we acknowledge that we're a sinner. We acknowledge that we can't do it ourselves. We acknowledge that we can't escape hell ourselves. We acknowledge that we can't get to heaven ourselves. So what do we do? We put our trust in the crucified and risen Christ. We receive him by faith. We just say, I'm going to trust him. He has said he would save me, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put my full trust in him. And when we do that, you know what he does? He forgives every sin you've ever committed. And not only that, he admits you to the family of God and reserves for you a place in heaven when you die. I'm telling you, that is pretty fantastic, but that is what is available. And that's what all these New Testament Christians had achieved. They had genuinely been converted, and that was making the difference for them. Now, I'll talk some more tomorrow about what's going on with them as we talk about this subject of New Testament Christianity. And remember, National Sword of the Lord Conference is underway right now. Gospelite Baptist Church, Walkertown, North Carolina, 7 o'clock tonight and all day tomorrow, and we hope that you'll plan to be with us. And in the meantime, write to me. Let me know that you hear the broadcast. Write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at Post Office Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com. And we hope that you'll also check out our website at swordofthelord.com. Well, until tomorrow, God bless you. Have a good rest of this day, and goodbye for now.